Welcome to the Novice No Longer Podcast, episode 21. Coming up, how do you get a job in tech journalism? Joe Osborne from Tech Radar joins me, and he shares how he became the editor at Tech Radar. And I talk about how my journey was a bit different than his. Uh, but first, I want to mention my developer. And I'm doing that because he is a sponsor of the show. And he's actually working on my fourth app. And I'm very excited he's currently doing this. And he wants to work on your app as well. It is Planet1107. And so if you go to his website, planet1107.net slash NNL, NNL stands for Novice No Longer. You can go on there. You can submit a quote, get a free quote for how much it'll cost you. And you'll also save 10%. And it's a really good deal. I, I've been going with him because it's such a good deal. And I definitely think that you should check it out. If you want to get an app made, it's time to stop kind of thinking about it and talking about it and really doing it. And you don't need to, even need to have the wireframes or mockups. You kind of just talk about your idea and he will ask the right questions. He'll start sketching it out. He'll get all the workflows for you. He'll tell you what you need if you're not sure of the requirements. And it's fantastic. Highly recommend it. To introduce this episode with Joe, I want to talk a little bit about doing what you love because this is a really important lesson to learn and it's important to know why people give you the advice that you should do what you love because you always hear this growing up. People always tell you that just do what you love and then in order to make a living you should do what you love and then get paid for it and that, that's how you make a happy living but it it as a kid and as, as somebody that's growing up and kind of looking at the job market it's hard to really kind of conceptualize that because when we look out and we look at the job market we see a a bunch of job listings and then you would apply for one of those and then the the company would give you a salary and that's that's kind of how things work which is completely uh the opposite of what you might love to do like maybe you love skiing or you love surfing the internet and you're thinking okay well how how do how can i do what I love and do that for a living. It, it, it makes no sense. But what, what they're really talking about and why you really need to do what you love and spend the time doing what you love is because there, there's only a finite number of people that are choosing to spend their time in a specific way. So let's say you love the guitar. Uh, I I don't play the guitar. I I used to a little bit in in high school, but I don't play the guitar. But maybe you're somebody that every night you come home and you play an hour on the guitar. And that means that your your skill, your playing guitar, is going to gradually get more and more and more. And there's only a, a finite number of people in the world that can also play the guitar. So suddenly you have a skill. And it's skills that become valuable. And it's interesting because the ways that you spend your time end up being your skills tomorrow. So for me, I just happened to want to make an app. And then I spent my time kind of organizing that. And then I spent my money on a developer and who paid to get it out there. 
I, I could have just as easily spent that same amount of time and money going out to a bar. And for a lot of times I did. I spent a lot of money uh, and time at, at we had drinking Mondays. So every Monday we would go out, meet for drinks. And it worked for me because I was working retail and then I always got Tuesdays off. And it was fantastic. But I could have done that more. And when you're kind of looking at how people spend their time and how you spend your time, it's really not a matter of having more or less time. It's a matter of setting your priorities. So for some people, going out and spending time with friends is a priority. And that's not a, a negative priority. It's not a bad priority. But going out and spending time at a bar drinking with friends is going to yield different results than going home and working on app wireframes and mockups and spending the money to invest on an app. And both are going to spend give you different results. And they're going to be different skills that you can then use, you can then teach other people and do things with. And the reason why people say that you should do what you love is because whatever you love, if you do it, you're going to get better at it. Even if it's just some bizarre little hobby thing that you do and nobody else does, suddenly you are the person that can do that better than anyone. And I think that we've all had the experience where we get into an industry and we learn, wow, this is a lot smaller than I thought. Like you get into journalism, especially for me. And I was like, wow, I'm in journalism now. I'm kind of looking along the landscape, especially here in New York. And it's like, if somebody is a journalist, a tech journalist in New York, I probably either know them or know of them. Whereas before I got into that industry, it was kind of like this this massive conglomerate of people that there was no rhyme or reason. It just it seemed overwhelming. There were so many different people. And every single industry, every single industry is like that. You get to the top echelon of mu- music and movies. There, there's only a finite number of people there. It's, it's small networks. And by spending time doing what you love, you become you become in that network and you're you just become there. And the reason why I bring this up specifically with the podcast about Joe and about journalism is because I found writing to be very much this same way. And he mentions doing free work. And you need to know when to stop doing free work. But when I tell people who want to get into journalism how to be journalists, I tell them, install a blog and start writing about the stuff that you would want to want to write about. And then don't just write it, but share it. Because there are only a finite number of people who are writing quality content online. And if you are a journalist and you stumble across that, you're going to look at that name. You're going to want to see who that is. And you're going to get enveloped into that community. And it's all about doing what you love. And that that's how you break into industries. If, if you want to be a writer for television, you want to write for Futurama. I wish that was still on the air. If you sat down every week and you wrote a new entire script for Futurama and you mailed it to them every single time, you probably wouldn't get a response, but they would know who you are and they would see eventually that would get better. And if they were looking for another writer, you know who they would be the first person to call? It would be you because you're the person who's actually writing Futurama script. There's only like, what what was it? Like nine or 10 people, I would guess, in the writer room, maybe more, but there's only a finite number of people that are writing the Futurama scripts. And even if you're not on staff, you would be one of those people. And therefore you would be of value, especially if your skill is growing as you're doing it and you share what you're doing with the right people. So whatever you do, 
do what you love and it, you'll eventually be able to make a living with it and do something with it and that's what i highly recommend and so yeah that that's my rant or my thing for today i guess this is kind of a long intro and this is a really long episode but it's an amazing episode i love talking to joe he has some really really interesting insights about what's going to happen once our devices and our computers no longer need to process anything once they don't they no longer have a cpu in them that's somewhere else what is that going to look like? And Joe has an answer that really intrigued me, and I love talking about this. I know you're going to love it too. I'm going to stop babbling. I'm going to get into the episode now. Enjoy. Joe Osborne of Tech Radar. Hey, Joe, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. So you're over at Tech Radar. You're the editor there. You do a lot of stuff with laptops. Um, but I always use, like to start off the podcast by asking people kind of, how they got started and how you got to where you are today. So how did you come to be at uh, Tech Radar? Right. Um, writing a lot for free. <laughs> writing That's a lot how. for free. Interesting. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm sure people that yeah. are listening are, are interested in this. So continue. Right, right. It's a known practice for, um, you know, if you're in J school or college, what have you. Um, you know, you only do it for so long. <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, you uh, you move over to, uh, to paid work. But, um you know, while I was in school, I went to uh, Temple University in Philadelphia um, for magazine journalism. And uh, I found a, uh, well, actually, a professor introduced me to a local blog called Geekadelphia, um, which is a uh, is the premier geek culture blog in the city um, and has since ballooned in popularity. Um, cool. I'll add a link to that in the show notes so everybody can check it out. Totally. Super proud to have come from there and give, it a, give them a mention on the show. Um and, uh, you know, I started working with them and writing, um, you know, local event coverage and um, a few columns on, um, you know, video games, technology, stuff like that, um, while I was, you know, doing my schoolwork from, I think, like, my junior year in college, I started with them. And, uh, yeah, and then from there, you know, I just, um, you know, really hammered down on internships. I did internships at um, Microsoft, uh, PC Magazine, and uh, a local magazine called 215. Um, and, uh, yeah, after, you know, after graduating, um, one of those internships, PC Magazine, turned into a freelance writing gig. And, um, you know, a lot of the connections I've made through those internships, um, you know, as, as you know, networking is a huge part of, uh, of getting work, um, as an editor or journalist. Um, you know, so a lot of those connections I made in those internships actually landed me jobs. Um, first a freelance gig at, um, AOL for games.com. Uh, writing about social games, like, you know, Farmville on Facebook and mobile um, and stuff like that, uh, you know, and then, uh, and that was while I was still in Philadelphia. Um, and then uh, I was brought on full time uh, and was moved up to New York. And, uh, you know, I was there for another year um, and then moved on to Laptop Magazine, um, which you know very well. And uh, that's where I came from too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I was there for a few months and then uh, moved on to Tech Radar, and here I am. See, now you took a very, uh, a more traditional approach, I would say. I so, guess traditional is, so. is the word. I, I kind of took, I, I skipped a few steps. And I always, as I was working, felt like bad and out of place. And like, I really, I, I didn't know. Like, you know when you come into a television series and you miss, like, even just the first episode. You just started the second one. And right. the entire time you're watching it, you're just, you're not sure if 
the the thing that happened like you're not sure if it's like suspense that they're setting up like there's something that's going to happen or you just mm-hmm. miss something in the last episode and it can color like the entire rest of the season the series for you just missing that one episode yeah Th- that's kind of how i felt because with me i had my own personal blog i i published on it and i was able to get just my personal writing like uh, republished by Gizmodo One Piece, and I, I kind of was able oh, wow. to leverage that to the job at Laptop, and mm-hmm. uh, so I, I skipped. I didn't do an internship, so I didn't get to. I didn't quote unquote pay my dues like almost everybody did around me. I didn't get to see any of the inner workings beforehand. It was just like, here you are, start writing, and I was like, okay, here I am writing, and <laughs> it worked out well. Like from Laptop, I went on to The Verge, but I, I always mm-hmm. felt like I, I was mit- like, there's something that everybody knows that I don't. <laughs> well, you know, to be clear, um, you know, my freelance um, gigs were uh, were very cushy. Um, you know, I wasn't, you know, hustling with the, you know, the pitching game and all that stuff. Um, I know quite a few freelancers who are uh, who are whizzes in ways that I will never be <laughs> in terms of pitching and uh, you know, getting on getting articles um, on uh, on spec. Oh yeah, and pitching um, so, is an art art form in and of itself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, you know, like for instance, with games.com, uh, I was, um, you know, it, it was a freelance job, but it was, I was full time. So it was basically full time work, um, for freelance pay. Um, so, you know, yeah, I, I've, I, you know, I've, I've, I've been extremely fortunate and extremely, extremely lucky, um, in the uh, opportunities that have come across for me. Now, when you say freelance, like full time work for freelance pay, does freelance I, pay mean like more than what it would be like a salary or less? Um, it really, um, it depends. Uh, you know, it's, uh, what, what I mean by that is, um, at, at that job, at least for that first, uh, about year and a half, um, I was, uh, paid per article, um, at a flat rate. Um, so, you know, you're, you're really, I mean, like, like with any freelance job, you know, you're really only making as much as you're producing. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I would write maybe, uh, between six and 10 articles a day. Um, and, uh, you know, of course, you know, that's a lot. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, Holy you know, but crap. yeah, it sounds like a lot. Um, and it, you know, I, I don't want to downplay it too much, but, um, you know, that could vary between, you know, a 150 to 300 word blurb to, you know, a full review of a game. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. You know, it, it definitely, it, it sounds like a lot when you put it in perspective, um, in terms of like exactly the amount of content I was reading, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, I mean, since, uh, since that time, I've written over four thousand articles. Wow! Now, how did yeah. you calculate that? Uh, <laughs> thanks to our CMS, actually. Um, oh, okay. Well, you know the CMS that I was working with at the time. So you can actually, um, yeah, just pull it up and see it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so now you're a tech writer, radar. You're an editor. What is the average day like for you? Like, what are you doing these days? Um, yeah, uh, lots of email. <laughs> um, you know, uh, actually. You know, I've actually just started um, in my role as a reviews editor. Um, so my job has changed a little more, um, and it'll it'll change more dramatically um, as time goes on, um, with a focus on you know laptops and desktops and Windows. Um, but uh, you know, day to day, you know, I start in the morning with updating our homepage, um, and then you know, I catch up on email. Um, and then move on to uh, whatever you know. I have, I have, I have my desk right now is covered in post-it notes with things that I need to do. Um, whether it's uh, coordinating with freelancers, um, managing budget, 
um, you know, updating our various roundups and hubs for um, different products. Um, for instance, you know, I, I run um, a variety of different uh, hubs for instance, the rumored iPad Pro, um, you know, we, we catalog all of the rumors and, you know, and release date information um, into single posts. Um, same thing goes for our buying guides, like best laptop, um, you know, and then, uh, and then working on uh, various reviews, whether it be things that I'm working on personally or um, reviews that I've commissioned to freelancers or, uh, or to uh, other members of our staff. Mm-hmm. Now I know that like the the title editor means mm-hmm. different things at different publications. So it sounds like you're doing more kind of like curation and uh, putting the content together and like editing actual actually editing content and deciding where it goes. Uh, yeah. what, what percentage is writing for you these days? I'm I'm just curious about this stuff. No, totally. Um, you know, uh, when I started, it was definitely um, more on the side of writing. You know, I was churning out you know one. 3,000 review, 3,000 word review um, a week. Uh, now it's more like uh, more probably one 3,000 word review every two or three weeks. Okay. Um, and, you know, a lot of, you know, my responsibilities since then have shifted to, like you said, um, content curation, you know, overseeing the voice of, of reviews and, um, and editing. Uh, yeah, a, lot, a lot of editing um, other staffers, um, reviews, or uh, or freelancers. Yeah, because it's interesting because I had the same title when I was at mm-hmm. The Verge. I was also the reviews editor there. And right. I know that if I had stayed longer, I my responsibilities would have shifted slightly, but I was spending mm-hmm. almost all of my time writing. And, and I mean, I know that they specifically had me deep in news and news writing just to kind of like mm-hmm. get a feel for like, news writing, the style, the, the pace, how things work at The Verge, which is fast-paced and insane, and those people are the most talented <laughs> people I've ever met. But, yeah. it's it, yeah, it was... I was the editor, but I was writing. And, like, uh, editor in the terms of, like, I, I had control over the editorial direction. Like, I in terms of reviews at The Verge, we only reviewed what we thought was cool or what we thought was relevant. Um, right. Whereas more other publications, like at the laptop, their their purpose is more to review every single thing and create that, like, all-inclusive guide, whereas we got to be more picky and choosy over at The Verge, but I, I mean, I was just writing all the time. Right, right. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, we at TechRadar, we, we fall somewhere in the middle, right, where we want to we want to have the breadth of coverage, right, but at the same time, we, we want to, um, you know, the uh, you know the particulars of that coverage, we want to be relevant to our readers. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. So you made a joke about your inbox, and that's where you spend your time. <laughs> what does your inbox look like? Do you have a lot of emails? Like you come in in the morning and you're just overwhelmed. Um, n- you know, it's a it's a good amount. Um, it's more of a, um, you know, I don't generally come in in the morning with a huge inbox because I don't leave with one that's rather full. If that makes sense. Um, you know, I, I do. Uh, I like to think I do a good job of keeping it as close to what everyone calls inbox zero as mm-hmm. possible. Um, you know, and I, uh, you know, I get, uh, I get a lot of pitches. Um, and then, uh, you know, but I have to say the majority of it is, um, uh, internal email from different, uh, from fellow coworkers. Um, because outside of the U S team, um, here in the States, um, you know, tech radar got to start in the UK and, uh, we have a huge UK team, uh, and, and then, uh, um, two or three editors in Australia. Uh, so, you know, because of the time shift, um, you know, they start their day when it's, you know, four in the morning <laughs> here in New York. So, um, 
you know, I, I do, I do wake up to a good, to a good amount of emails, um, that are, uh, that are from our UK editors that are <laughs> bright eyed and bushy tailed when I'm still asleep. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I like to treat my, my inbox as yet another to-do list. Um, and that's how I like to manage it. You know, um, with, um, you know, with, uh, the follow-up features, um, of, uh, we're currently on Outlook and we're shifting over to, uh, Google services. Um, you know, I use that, those little red flags as, um, as basically a reminder of, Hey, you have to, this is something you have to, um, you have to do at some point today. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So I always, I always ask people that have busy inboxes, how they manage that, because I'm always looking for little tips and tricks to make mine better. Now you use the flags. I never actually use the flags. I, I mean, I, I try to be good about things, um, in terms of, I try not to leave things sitting in my inbox, although that doesn't usually always happen. I usually try to keep, I keep my unread count zero. So if something is unread, it is like a, this needs attention. And if I leave it in there, I try not to do that for more than like a couple of hours because that's something that I need to do, but I'll keep things in the inbox and then I'll archive things as much as I can. Um, I, I try to keep it like one page, maybe even like above the fold. So you don't have to scroll to see the rest of your emails. Although I've been slacking yeah. recently. I, I, yeah. So, oh, well, Hey, it's the summer. Exactly. We're, all, we're almost there, you know? And I'm, I'm um, super busy, super busy. Yeah. And I, everybody that's listening to the podcast too, I'm sure you guys will be in the know very soon, but, uh, I told you about trip expert, right? Uh, no, actually I, I, I might've gotten an email from you, but I, but I just found, I just found the, uh, the, the lander page. Oh yeah. yeah. I, okay. So trip expert, I'll go into more details later and I'll talk, I'll talk to you about this later, but, um, totally. yeah, at launching, we picked a date June 12th. And so I'm like freaking That's out great. trying to get everything together. So my life yeah. has been quite hectic these days. <laughs> All right. So, um, you had mentioned pitches and how you do get pitches, but a lot of internal right. email. And I know that a lot of people listening have apps or they have products and they like, Hey, I would love to get written about on tech radar or some other publication that might be a better fit for whatever they're doing. Mm-hmm. What, tell me about how pitches, how pitches work with you. Like you, you read them. What happens if you do think they're interested? If you if they're interesting? If you don't think they're interesting? And, and kind of that whole process, right? So you know our um, you know our staff um, our hierarchy is uh, is broken up by you know coverage type. Um, you know, for instance, I I am uh, not only the reviews editor but also you know the you know laptops desk, desktops and um, and Windows guy uh, for the US team. So. You know that governs a lot of what I personally respond to and personally, um, you know, personally cover when it comes to pitches. Um, but of course, you know, I look at every every pitch with the knowledge that there's probably someone on my team um, to which this would be relevant. Um, so, you know, my general response to most pitches um, is forwarding <laughs> um, to the relevant team member and um, and having them. Uh, and that's and that mostly goes for um, news blasts because when you're replying to a news blast, you you rarely, uh, at least in my experience, I rarely get a, re- a, a reply back or a recognition that I did reply. Um, but if it's something more personal, like "Hey, Joe, you know, I'd like you to see this," um, that's more of a case in which I would be like, "Hey, you know, thanks for reaching out. Have you met, you know, so and so? He's our, you know, X Y Z editor, what have you? Um, you know, you guys should, you know, get connected and maybe you can hit it off." Um, and uh, 
Yeah, that's generally how how I handle uh, most pitches that I, you know, that I guess pass the, you know, the relevancy test for what we cover. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I talk to a lot of journalists and I ask a lot of them about this whole process here. The thing that strikes me and that I always did when I was working as a journalist is I made sure I read every single email. And if, if it was a more personal type thing, I, I mean, I would always respond. And it's so easy for me to think, and before I kind of got into this, I would think that you, you would send it to just some name that you saw online who wrote an article, and they almost weren't a real person. And I, it was hard for me to imagine them actually reading the email, and it was like sending it off into abyss, uh, yeah. into the abyss. Just like you, if you apply for jobs, like through Monster or whatever, and you're submitting your resume, it's like that is disappearing into the abyss. You might as well not do anything, you know. And I always felt that that was going to be the case with like sending out your pitch, but it, it's really not, is it? Uh, no, no. I mean, uh, like you said, you know, every single email is read. Um, you know, I I don't let the unread count go for long at all you know hours tops so absolutely everything is read um you know and and a lot of what it comes down to for you know emails that aren't replied to is whether it falls into our wheelhouse for coverage you know um at tech radar we're very much focused on products um and uh you know it doesn't really fall into that uh into that realm and and not to mention a specific you know these specific product categories that we generally cover um you know, it's it's tough to expand the you know the taxed bandwidth that I already have um, to respond to an email like that. Yeah, and uh, along those lines, I think what you said about kind of knowing who you are pitching to and research them first go goes oh. a long way. And along those lines, the story that I think is just absolutely hilarious is I remember I was at The Verge when. Uh, the Nest, the new Nest came out, the fire detector, right. the smart one that connects to your smartphone and the really fancy one. And mm -hmm. so Neelai Patel wrote a fantastic right. review of it when it first came out. And I think there was like a video, it was like a whole big thing. And I'll, I'll put it in the show notes for anybody that wants to see it. But it, it was funny because a week later, he comes out of his office holding a box that he got in the mail, like a huge one that he was carrying, and he sets it down, and it's a box filled with four different smoke detectors. <laughs> These are regular smoke detectors. It was just like some average smoke detector company saw that he wrote about smoke detectors and was like, I'm going to send as many smoke detectors as I can to this guy. And it's like, <laughs> this completely misses the entire point. And I think that people will see, will say, oh, this site writes about tech. I'm going to send this to them and right. do that for every single person. And especially when it's just a generic email, like no wonder nobody responds because yeah. it has nothing to do with what you're right about, what the publication does, and it's a generic email. It makes no sense to me. Exactly. Yeah, it, it's definitely, it, you know, while I, I would imagine um, for, uh, for folks trying to pitch their product or app or, or what have you, um, it's tough when you're reaching out to, I mean, you know, let, let's forget just the amount of, you know, technology websites there are. Look at all the general press. Um, you know, it would, it, it's tough to personalize every single email that you're sending but it's important to reiterate like how long of a way that goes for you um you know it's it's extremely helpful um to uh not only just getting a reply to but getting it in front of the right person if the person you're personally sending it to 
might not be that person. Mm-hmm. I mean, so. even to that case about taking a lot of time, it's like, yeah, it it can, but I mean, you should do the this work smart, like work smart rather yeah. than work hard. And what I would say is like, nail down the biggest publications that are also the most in parallel to what you want to write about or, or what your product is like who is most likely to write about you and also who has the largest reach and then spend uh, like 15 20 minutes like researching the individual writer other stuff they've done how it might interest them and the thing that i always tell people is when you're sending these emails don't send it as like please write about me what you should do is the people that are writing about technology and writing about this topic they're doing it because they're interested in it this is how they've chosen to spend their time and so if you've created a cool product email them as somebody who created something cool who wants to share it with somebody who obviously also will think that it's cool and (laughs) being in that mindset just changes everything so you find those like bigger publications that are would be most interested in about you spent the most time there and then for like smaller publications spend like five minutes per one like just customizing it and if you send out 20 of those it's five minutes times 20 times like if you spend just a few days doing this you'll have a a, such a high return in terms of being able to be written about versus just writing the one release and finding an email list somewhere and just blasting it out yeah absolutely and you know i think um you know to add on to that um i think it's important especially with um outlets that have highly engaged communities, whether, whether that be on Facebook, Twitter, uh, YouTube channels, is um, if you have the time, see how those readers respond to the content that's being created on that outlet. Because um, that could give you um, a really good idea if, say, an editor were to pick up, your, um, were to pick up on your pitch, um, how the readers might respond. Yeah, that's 100% true. I mean, you're not only you're writing for a publication and for its audience and yeah. being aware just knowing who you're you're writing to and who you're trying to pitch is just super super important. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I don't know what else can be said about this, but I, I <laughs> want to have you on the show to talk about just technology and more general type stuff and trends because as we're here and we're creating apps, we're creating products. I think that the technology and the hardware that we're doing it on and the direction that things are heading is super important to understand and pay attention to because you, by listening to what's going on and what could be the future, you can come up with the app idea or the product idea that doesn't exist yet, but it's going to be the next big thing. Totally. And along that kind of line, I know you spend a lot of your time in laptops. So I wanted to ask you about laptops and like how they're changing since you got started and where they might be heading and are they going to be completely obsolete with all this other stuff or what are your thoughts uh, as someone who's in this all day every day right well <laughs> well then you cannot have better timing um i just came from uh yesterday um uh, may 20th uh for the listeners uh, Microsoft revealed its uh, its latest Surface tablet. Yeah, um, I was at a conference yesterday, and I didn't I didn't get a chance to closely follow that. So, okay, tell me about this. Right. Yeah, so I'm I'm actually holding one right now. I'm I'm, I'm working on a on our review um, as of this recording, and uh, yeah, you know it's uh, it's interesting. You know, um, I there's no need to get into the you know the nitty gritty of it, but you know it's of course it's bigger, thinner, lighter sharper screen, you know, all of the, you know, all of the, all of the, you know, the boxes have been checked, you know, for, for a major technology release. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, 
what's interesting is um, the the vision that Microsoft is pushing with this product, and and arguably has has been for the past three versions of the of the Surface tablet, is um, their mission to replace the laptop, which is um, you know a very bold stance to take on you know what what the media has has called um, hybrid devices or laptop tablet hybrids. Um, you know, they seem to think that, um, you know, and a lot of this comes from a conversation I had with um, the lead of the uh, the Surface team, uh, Panos Panay, um, uh, yesterday, is that they think that um, laptop owners and tablet owners are actually the same people, which is which is arguably true. You know, they put up a stat during the presentation that said 96% of iPad owners also own laptops. Now, you know, a lot of that... It could also be that all you know the majority of those tablet owners already owned uh, already owned laptops, um, but their point is that they want they they see a future in which you buy a single device that can do both of those things. You know they see the the laptop as the primary content creation device. You know um, that's been basically honed to an edge over the past you know what thirty years um, or twenty years. And they see the tablet as it stands right now, um, you know, as they would probably say, um, pre-Surface Pro 3, as primarily a content consumption device, um, you know, where it's great for watching videos or browsing the web or maybe even playing playing some casual games. But when it comes down to actually creating, you know, creating content, uh, it's just not there. And, um, and that's what this device, and arguably... You know, all of the devices from the different uh, manufacturers, Dell, you know, Toshiba, Lenovo, what have you, they all have what they think is the answer. And this is just, you know, another one of those. Um, and, uh, you know, after my time with it, you know, I've been, I've been very skeptical, borderline critical of the whole category since it popped up a few years ago with the release of Windows 8, um, you know, given that it was aimed to be both a touch-friendly operating system and a, you know, mouse and keyboard friendly operating system um, in the same package. Um, but I think that given my short time with it, that the Surface Pro 3 is the closest that anyone has gotten to that vision. I'm not sure if it's there yet. Um, you know, everyone's going to have to wait for uh, for my and, you know, every other tech editor, <laughs> their full reviews. But um, I, I think that I think that if it's if it's not the answer, it's a huge leap in the right direction. Interesting. See, yeah. a, okay, so you're you're thinking that this is a good uh, a leap in the right direction. Yeah, and that's coming from you know, like I said, a, a, a major skeptic of this category. Yeah. See, when when the Surface first came out, I was surprised. I've I've been a long time Apple person. Uh, my right. Uh, I use a MacBook Air. That's what I'm on right now. I've got an iPhone, and I have since the 3GS. Um, I have an iPad Mini that I love and I use all the time. But I was surprised at how much I liked the Surface. It was just yeah. a sleek device, and I love Windows 8 too. Like I'm, I'm a fan. I'm one of those strange people. But <laughs> I, it, it's interesting because I, as you were at the uh, Surface event yesterday, I was yeah. at. Uh, MoDev, which is the Mobile Development User Experience Conference in D.C. And they were talking about uh, one of the things is like usability and how people 
like want to use as you're building products, how to account for different devices that people are are on. And mm-hmm. the thing that's really striking is uh, it, it what device pers- a person is on changes throughout the day, which obviously makes sense. So like in the morning, it is mostly uh, cell phones and tablets. During the day, it's cell phones and laptops. And then in the evening, it's smartphones and tablets. And right. uh, they were talking about how, like, in the evening, uh, people are no longer on their laptops. Those are all put away. Or they just leave it uh, in their bag or at, at the office. And they're watching TV. And then they go on their tablets during commercial breaks. And the one thing that they talk about is when you're designing software for tablets, you should make sure that you're not doing anything that's super involved. Or if you need to do a process, right. make sure that if they pause in the middle of it, then they're going to be good. Because if they're watching, I was going to say Game of Thrones, but that has no commercials. If they're watching like <laughs> 24 and the commercial break comes on and they want to like do some quick banking, they're like, oh yeah, I had to pay a credit card. And then the show comes back on, they're going to put down their thing and then finish it later. So like, I, I personally use a laptop, but I don't know if, like I feel like the service would be too big for like the casual pickup during TV. Right. Well, you know, I mean, yeah, they did boost the um, device's size to 12 inches now. Um, but, you know, another marvel of the technology world is every year everything gets thinner and lighter, um, which is the case for this. You know, they managed to make it both thinner and lighter um, while increasing the um, the screen size. Um, and, you know, I've, I've used it with one hand and, um, you know, it's it's one of the first tablet devices of its kind that um, I don't feel like it would be a total pain to hold in, in just one hand. Um, you know, I, I tend to get a little bit of wrist strain. You know, I, I obviously have weakened, <laughs> weakened wrists from uh, sitting at the keyboard all day. Um, so I, I'm a special case. But, uh, but yeah, um, I don't think that it, it'll be too noticeable um, in your, you know, in your, in your hands while you're, you know, switching between say watching the TV and, you know, jumping back to the tablet and not to mention the, uh, the kickstand um, now bends back even further, I think to a uh, 150 degree angle. So you can basically, you know, rest it on your, on your lap at a, at, you know, at a near uh, 100, 180 degree angle, just so that you don't have to almost lean over to look at what you're doing, you know, you may be able to just, you know, watch TV with it on your lap that, you know, as so, and just be able to glance at it and, you know, and, and consume your content in between commercial breaks. Oh, that's interesting. Like just having it sitting there and then you're able to look down when it's a commercial. Yeah. I'm still exactly. not sure. I, I totally believe that the service is a good lap device yet but i'll have to see it i haven't actually touched it yet but i do know that when apple announced or released even the ipad air i I went to the apple store and i picked it up and i held it and i was like this is amazing and i still have my mini because the mini is the device for me not the bigger one um so it's interesting that we each have the devices and everybody is completely different. Just like I use a, a notebook majority of the time, but I'm not sure that people are going to be doing that very much longer. And I forget where I read this, but I want to get your opinion on this too. And I could just be caught. I, it's very possible. This is like daring fireball and Gruber and I'm just stealing it from that. <laughs> but this is, yeah. it was really an intriguing thought. And the thought is 
where technology is going to head, what we need to do is not kind of look at the world now and how people are using it, but instead look at kids and kids, how they're using technology, because they're, of course, going to be the adults of tomorrow and all that fun stuff. But when, when you have a kid, their first interaction with the Internet and with a computer is not a laptop or a, a desktop or uh, desktops. Do they even exist anymore? But it's not a laptop. It's a smartphone and it's a tablet. And they're probably not going to get their first computer unless it's for either school to type papers or for work. And so we're, we're so used to this laptop as our main device because growing up that was our main device but we have this entire whole generation of people that only associate laptops with doing work and everything else consuming device i mean even creating content i think is going to be done more and more on the tablet just because that's their first thing and it's not just like a couple of years this is like their entire childhood until they're big enough to do real work. And I think that the, the psychology of that is going to have a massive impact on the technology that we see in the next 10, 20 years. Right. Yeah. I, you know, I think, um, you know, I, I, have to, I have to largely agree with you there. And I have to say that the reason for my skepticism at the moment is that I don't think it's even close yet. What's and even close? Uh, the technology, really, you know, the um, you know these these hybrids, the, the, these attempts at you know creating that tablet device that's capable of um, you know of such uh, use cases, you know, creating content and and work. Um, I don't think they're there yet. I think you know this device here um, that we're talking about is 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 incredibly close, but they're just. There are some things, you know, there are some sacrifices that are still being made, you know, in, in, for instance, the keyboard, you know, the keyboard cover, you know, is that, you know, I think there, while it's, you know, vastly improved, there are still things to be done there. Um, you know, just the, the accuracy of touch-based devices, um, you know, are we ever going to escape the mechanical keyboard? Are we always going to have some accessory um, to this device? And maybe that is the answer, you know, maybe, um, you know, the primary device for everybody just becomes the tablet that's modular that just interacts with all sorts of accessories and different, uh, and different portals, um, through which you consume and create content. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think you're right. And I think, and I think that, you know, companies like Microsoft and, and all of the other, uh, manufacturers are, are right in getting ahead of it, um, right now, you know, because this is, you know, if they don't, they'll be left at the wayside, you know, when, you know, when, the, you know, the kids that, you know, are, say, I don't know, a year old now or, or, or who have been just born, you know, when they come to the age where they actually have to create content, you know, on, a, on an Internet connected device, you know, what is that going to be? Um, so, yeah, and, you know, they, they do, you know, these companies do deserve a lot of kudos for getting ahead of that problem now. Um, you know, is it, I want to be careful what I say here, you know, is it, is the, is the, is the path there to continuously release devices, you know, at, at you know, the attempt to, you know, make a profit off of these products? Is that, is, was that necessarily the way to go? I don't know. I think maybe, you know, these devices could 
stand to sit longer in the research and development phase um, than they seem to have been. I mean, you know, obviously Microsoft said that the Surface Pro 3 had been in development for three years and, um, you know, and here we are, you know, myself and, you know, countless other uh, tech reporters and editors saying that it's still not there yet, but it's really close. Um, you know, so what, you know, could it, could it have used another two years in R&D? Um, who knows? But, you know, it, on the other side of that coin, right, you know, they have to keep trying at this problem before it be, you know, before it actually becomes, you know, a tangible issue. You know, so. Microsoft says three years in R&D, but really, what does that mean? Did they release the first one about three years ago? Right. And it's like, right. w- what does R&D mean? You mean R&D is like releasing the first one and then listening to feedback? Because that could be research and development, you know? Like, <laughs> right. of course, it's been three years in R&D. They, they were like, we know that we need to make this better. Let's, like, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah. Because yeah. I, it's weird to me that... I think companies will be like, yeah, we've been working on this for uh, so, so-and-so years. Mm-hmm. But when you look at what the landscape looked like back then, it's like you might have been working on something, but you, it, it's disingenuous to be like, we've been working on this. And yeah, I don't think the, the technology is there. But I mean, I, I'm of the opinion that cell phones and tablets and things these are just a transitional technology and and right. i can't wait until they're not here anymore because <laughs> I, it the the thing about technology is it allows you to accomplish a goal and your goal is not to take out your phone and check facebook your goal is to see what your friends are doing and if right. you're able to see what your friends are doing without like being distracted, like looking down and taking yourself out of the world to look down at your device, that's even better. And I mean, Google tried to do that with Google Glass, which I think is one of the worst, worst possible devices ever. I'm an anti-Google Glass person. But yeah. what does that world look like? Because I, I'm, I'm imagining a world where like almost all of the computing power and almost all of your data is quote unquote in the cloud. So the devices that you buy are only going to be like viewports or displays. And so Mm -hmm. people have different type of information. They want to display certain places. So you'll buy one that's in the shape of like a tablet and that'll be able to do everything that you pay for it to do. And like you might pay like a monthly fee and have a certain speeds of processing power instead of buying like a laptop like you have a a five gig whatever and in the cloud or megahertz like the actual like power of your cpu and that's what you get and that's going to be delivered to any device so if you're using your smartphone it's going to be just as fast as whatever you're using as your laptop and it's all up there but i don't know like i'm still trying to imagine like okay we've freed we're we're now free from the limitations of hardware. So we don't need it to be a certain amount of thickness because there's no computer in there. We don't need it to be any certain thing. Like I'm sure battery problems in, in this fantasy, battery problems aren't solved, but it's like, okay, in this perfect world, like what do we need or what do we want in order to view the information that we want to view? Right. Well, look at, I mean, look at how far we've come already and look at what, you know, is driving is driving the innovation you know look at what look at what's driving these devices consistently getting thinner and lighter it's the software um the software is driving these devices to conform to um you know the content that's being created 
Um, and, I, and I think you're absolutely right. You know, cloud computing is just getting started. Yeah, you know we're seeing we're seeing stuff like the Xbox One, you know, to to a certain extent. Um, not to get too much into gaming, but um, let's get into gaming. Let's go to the Xbox One. What about it? Yeah. Um, well, okay, great. You know, one of my favorite topics. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, for instance, the the, the latest um, Xbox One game, the uh, the Titanfall uh, shooter. Um, a lot of the uh, you know the physics and and you know and the um, a lot of that, a lot of that data is being processed on uh, Microsoft's Azure um, stack. Um, you know, there there are several thousand servers or whatever number they put out when they first announced the Xbox One is uh, is supporting a lot of that. Um, you know, and that's uh, and that's that's really important. You know, because up until now, um, your games were governed by whatever was inside of your box. Um, you know, you know the, the fidelity of those games. I should say, uh, you know, if your if your box didn't have you know this graphics card or this processor, um, you you simply weren't running that game. Um, whereas, you know, at least this is a this is a tiny step in that direction, and you know, um, and it's it's in parallel with those services like Gaikai, which was acquired by um, Sony, and um, OnLive, which is in a you know in a flux state um, where, you know, your games are run somewhere else. You know, they're run, you know, across the country on some server farm. And the only thing that's limiting you from accessing that content is your data connection. Um, And I think, uh, you know, to have, you know, gaming consoles already taking that one small step further and saying, not only are the game, you know, it's not just the games that are being, you know, served up to you over this connection. You know, the actual interactions within those games are, you know, and the and the physics and all of the renderings are being served up to you by these servers. Um, and I think it's a very important distinction to make. And um, and I think we're going to see, you know, that technology. Um, you know, it's only natural for that, in my, at least in my opinion, for that technology to balloon. You know across all, you know, across, you know, it doesn't, you know, gaming, um, video, you know, we're already seeing Netflix experimenting with 4k, uh, streaming, you know, obviously it's compressed, but over the internet, which is just, it's astounding. You know, I, who do you know that even has a 4k TV yet? And we're already, um, we're already prepping the software for their hardware. Again, back to my point that, you know, the software and the content is driving, you know, these hardware innovations. Mm -hmm. And, I, I'm so pissed at Microsoft for botching the announcement of the Xbox because I think yeah. that the newest Xbox, like, that is the future. Like, they were doing amazing stuff, but they ruined it by doing stuff like no backwards compatibility and, like, all of these completely undesirable, like, it has to be connected to the internet. And it's like, yes, I mean, you release this product, and I would say probably 90 to 95% per- of people are going to be always connected. So you're going to pretty yeah. much get your way. But, yeah. uh, like, they it had all these amazing things like the the off the off computer computing like you were just talking about and all these yeah. other features and they completely botched it because they did all these over the top stuff as well um yeah. i don't know if you remember when amazon announced uh, they called it amazon silk and it was like a feature yeah. of the one of the kindles a couple of years ago Mm-hmm. And I remember just being so absolutely intrigued and just in love with it. And basically what it is is Amazon Silk 
is a technology that they released for the Amazon Kindle web browser. So what it would do is because the Amazon Kindle it isn't like one of the fastest tablets. It's not one of the most powerful. It's cheap. Like it's inexpensive. But what they did is they're splitting the the rendering and the processing of websites. It's only done partially on your actual device and then partially in the Amazon cloud. So things load like you had a faster device, even though you don't have a faster device. And right. I thought that that was just absolutely genius. And then you get the device and you, you can't really tell any different. It just feels like a cheap tablet. But <laughs> I, the, the concept in this technology, I was just like, wow, I, I hadn't even thought of that before. And it's like, all right, what if you're able to do 95% of the processing in the cloud and all you have to do is get somebody just this really crappy little thing, but it runs just like the iPad runs. Like that, that would be amazing. That, right. uh, that is definitely where we're going to be in about five, 10 years. I have no doubts. Totally. And, you know, you know to your credit, you, know, you said that, you know, that technology you know, is so impressive, yet the device still just feels like a cheap tablet. And, um, you know, that's almost kind of the point, right? Like, you're not supposed to notice the, the difference. And, um, and I think that might be one of the issues that these companies face, is that the, the, the quicker they release this technology, you know, the, you know, the hyperbole of increased processing power and, and, you know, you know, and higher resolution displays and, you know, thinner and lighter, you know, all of those, you know, all of those boxes that they, that they check and, uh, and, you know, and show off to you, you know, at every major event, um, you know, that stuff, um, is going to start to lose its, um, its charm, you know, you know, the fact that, you know, say like, you know, the next iPad, the iPad Air 2, what have you, you know, will have the Apple A8 processor, you know, um, you know, how, for how long is that going to be an impressive data point when more and more general consumers are privy to the fact that, oh, well, that's great, but, you know, all of this stuff is being run somewhere else anyway, so what does it matter? And, you know, I think we're going to run and, you know, these things are going to come to a head when, you know, when all of this impressive stuff is being done outside of this device – what happens to these companies that sell these devices? You know. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. So it's a, yeah, it's a, you know it's an important thing to keep in mind, and you know at least for I don't know I, I guess at least for the short term. Yeah. No, we're kind of musing on on a long term basis about what the future is going to look like. What this, this future that we're talking about in your <laughs> mind? How many years from now is it? How many years? Yeah. Um, you know, stuff has been moving. At an incredibly rapid pace. I mean, just in the past what two years, we've seen wearables explode, um, and that is that hasn't even hit the fever pitch yet, right? Just because wearable, they're all terrible. I'm excited exactly. for a good a good wearable. I think good wearables are coming. We're on the cusp, but yeah. everything out there now sucks. Right, and that's the thing. You know, they, you know, you have you have these companies that are doing wearables, right? And they're everyone's trying to get ahead of it, um, trying to solve this problem before it really happens. And the same thing is happening with the hybrids. Um, you know, we haven't had that. You know, and you know the same thing was happening with you know with phones and tablets. You know, ten you know ten and five years ago. Um, so, you know, I guess I guess I kind of answered your question, right? I guess maybe we are only five or ten years out for each of these you know different uh, you know different product categories um, actually becoming you know actually realizing the vision that these companies set out you know in you know in their um, you know hyperbolic. Uh, 
press conferences, mm. uh, you know, five years ago. Awesome. Well, I hope so. I'm excited. I'm excited yeah. for things to change. Absolutely. I mean, that's why, you know, that's why we do this, right? Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, Joe, this has been uh, just an enthralling conversation for me. I love musing about this stuff, and you had some really interesting things to say. If, if anybody that's listening here wants to get in touch with you or find you on the web, how would you tell them to do that? Right. So you can reach me. Um, the best way is on Twitter. Um, you can reach me at Joe underscore Osborne. That's O-S-B-O-R-N-E. And, uh, you know, I'm on Facebook if you want to, you know, see what I'm doing there. You know, I'm gener- that's generally more of a personal network for me. Twitter is where I, you know, I'm, you know, I feel free to interact with almost anybody. You know, you can check out my work and all of my, you know, all of my colleagues' work over on uh, TechRadar.com. Um, we have a lot of exciting stuff in store for 2014. And, um, and yeah, you know, hit me up, uh, hit me up in those two places, you know, hit us up in the comments, um, on tech radar, you know, show us that, uh, tell us what you like about, uh, about our content and what we can do to make it better or, uh, you know, or what you'd like to see us cover. Um, so yeah. And yeah, as somebody who's worked for a publication, people read every single comment, they're all getting read. Yeah. So if you yeah. comment on something, you can be guaranteed that somebody that works there is reading it and they might not reply or respond but you're definitely getting eyes on it yeah absolutely well awesome joe thank you so much for being on the show thank you for having me this has been an absolute pleasure i love talking about this stuff that music means it's the end of this week's episode. I had a blast. If you enjoyed this too, please go onto iTunes, leave me a rating or a review. I read them. They make me smile so big. I love it. And until next week, have a good one. 